Merry Christmas again. We're going to keep going through this series on Fear Not that we've looked at over the last three weeks. And today we're going to look at Mary and her fears and the hope that we find in Christ Jesus. And so Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Hope you have a copy of God's Word. We're going to just walk through this passage today and see what God would say to us to hopefully remove our fears and to fill us with faith and trust in Him. And so we're glad that you're here. And if you are a guest, again, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us this Sunday. And I'm sure that you got many gifts yesterday on Christmas Day. But I'm excited to tell you guys, as a church, uh, we're going to be able to give you not just a Christmas Day gift, but a Christmas uh, or New Year's Eve gift. Um, And so next Sunday, we've got a gift for those that are connected in small groups, those that are members of our church. Um, And it's a journal through the Gospel of John. So next Sunday, we'll have those available out in the Welcome Center. You'll see a picture of it on the screen here. But it's, uh, it's going to be a journal that we're going to walk through. And our hope and our prayer is that as we give you guys this journal, it helps us live out our mission statement, who we are as a church, right? We desire to glorify God by making more better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And one of the ways that you mature in your faith and you become a better disciple and follower of, of the Lord is we read his word and we think on his word and we allow it to to, uh, uh, savor in our hearts and in our minds. And so this journal that we're going to be able to give you guys next week, um, you'll see on one side of it it has scripture, so you'll be able to read the Gospel of John with us. And then on the other side of it, it'll have lines where you can actually write and make notes. And uh, our desire is that you would read it personally, you'd read the passage of of John that we're going to be reading that week. Make some notes and then take that to Sunday morning and make some notes from the sermon as well as when you meet with your small group. Be able to kind of read and discuss that and grow in your faith. Become a more mature or a better disciple of Christ. So that as we finish the Gospel of John next year around this time, we finish it up. You can actually hold that journal and say, man, I've kind of got my own commentary on the Gospel of John. How God stirred my heart and encouraged me this, this last year. And so... I'm excited about diving into the Gospel of John um, starting next week, but uh, today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 26. We'll read this, and then we'll pray. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, to be called holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth, who we looked at four weeks ago, Elizabeth, in her old age, will conceive a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. Pray with me. Lord, we pray today that as Mary heard about you, that we too would learn about you today. And as she responded in faith to the revelation of Jesus, that we too would respond in faith. Lord, we thank you that you did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So let us understand the, the gift of hope that you've given us today through Jesus. I pray as we understand that, it would change the way we live, change who we are for your glory and your honor. Now let me invite you in, in a moment of silence just to pray to God and ask that he would give you hope and remove your fears through his power and his word today. As we pray to him now in Would you pray for someone else, a family member, a friend, somebody that you know is struggling maybe with anxiety or fear right now? Would you pray for them, um, that God would encourage them and speak to them um, either through the word or maybe through you sharing the, the word with them this week? Would you pray for that person right now? light our path and would it give us boldly so that we could live in hope instead of fear. Amen. Amen. The United States Air Force actually has one of the most renowned survival training schools in the world. 17 days long and in these 17 days it is grueling, gruesome survival training. They literally drop you out in the middle of the wilderness they uh, capture some, interrogate you, and you've got to learn how to survive in the midst of wilderness and craziness. And it's interesting because this training, though it's world-renowned, when you get to the end of it, they tell you two simple things. If you want to survive, you need to know two numbers. Two numbers. They tell all of the military that go through, if you know these two numbers, it will help you to survive in uncertain times. It will help you survive in, in wilderness and hard situations. So one of the numbers that they say you've got to remember is 98.6. 98.6, that's a number you have to remember. And the reason why you have to remember it is because that's your core body temperature, right? And if your body temperature goes down to, say, 92, you start to hallucinate. You literally go crazy. And so they're like, you've got to keep your body temperature exactly where it's supposed to be. 98.6 degrees is an important number. The second number that they tell you if you want to survive is the number three. Three. The reason why is because they said that you cannot survive three minutes without air. You cannot survive three hours without shelter. You cannot survive three days without water. 
three weeks without food or three months without companionship. So they look and they say, you need to know the number three. And in the order that I listed them is the orders of importance. But there's another number three that they put above all of those that I mentioned. Above air, above shelter, above water, above food, above companionship. In survival training, they say you cannot survive three seconds. You cannot survive three seconds without hope. Hope. Now, it's interesting. One of the guys that has written a lot of these survival training books, uh, his name is Admiral Stockdale. And apparently he was born for this because his full name is Admiral James Bond Stockdale. I kid you not. It's, it's not a joke. There's a real picture of him. He's a real guy. He was actually a, a POW during the Vietnam War. He was being interviewed at one point, or he wrote in his book, I think, where he talked about hope. And as a prisoner of war, somebody asked him about hope and how people were able to survive being prisoners of war. And it was interesting, as he talked about it, he said, the first people that did not survive, the first people that caved were the optimists. Just a little bit of a head scratcher there. You're like, wait, you're supposed to have hope, and you're writing in your book, and you're talking about we're supposed to have hope. And yet you're saying in one of the hardest circumstances, one of the hardest situations, the first people that lose it are the optimists. He says, yeah, the optimists are people who place their hope on things that crumble. And when that thing that they place their hope on crumbles, then they fail. He said, so when we were in prison, I saw people say, we will absolutely be rescued by Thanksgiving. By Thanksgiving, we'll be rescued. And when they weren't rescued, their hopes and their hearts were broken. Then some would say, well, we'll surely be rescued by the, the turn of the year. When the turn of the year happens, th then, then things will be better. And when they weren't rescued by the turn of the year, their hopes were dashed again and their hearts were broken. And he said, those are the people that I saw fade and didn't survive. God's word calls us to have deep, deep hope. But you're not going to hear me today argue, just be an optimist. Just believe the best. Like, believe that the sun will come out tomorrow, right? You can bet your bottom dollar, right? But Annie, what if tomorrow is worse than today? What if she's wrong, right? What if, what if tomorrow is worse than today? We have to have something deeper than just optimism. We need to have deep-rooted hope, a hope that is a hearty hope. And we need a fuel that, that drives our hope so that we don't crumble. And this is what this passage is going to tell us today. When we look at the life of Mary, this honestly looks like a hopeless situation. Like, how in the world is this going to happen and for many of us, we look at our lives and we look at our world and we're like, we're sitting with a lack of hope. Or maybe we're saying tomorrow will be better and then tomorrow comes and it's worse than today. We need a hearty fuel in order to grow and, and endure our hope. And so I hope that today we find that fuel that helps us to endure. And first, one of the, the pieces of that fuel that, that allows our hope to flourish is that we would not fear, but we would have hope because God knows us. 
do not fear, but have hope because God knows you. In this passage that I read, look back at the first two verses, verses 26 and 27. This angel sent by God, and yes, we do believe in angels, right? This is a real thing. (laughs) This angel from the Lord comes to Mary and tells her all these things about Mary. Did you catch that? I mean, look at verse 26. Gabriel comes to the city of Galilee, or, or the region of Galilee, to the city of Nazareth. They, they know where Mary lives. God knows Mary's address. And he has to say Galilee because we'll get to this in a minute. But Nazareth was like a hole in the wall city that nobody really knew. He knows where she lives. He, he, God knows her sexual past. In verse 27, she's a virgin. He knows her her relational status, that she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. And even tells us something about Joseph, that he's from the house of David. He knows her name. Her name is Mary, which means wonder. God knows all these things. He knows her address. He knows her city. He knows her family. He knows her sexual past. God knows everything about Mary. And God knows everything about you, too. He knows your thoughts. He knows your struggles. He knows your dreams. God knows all of these things about you. But what's interesting, we read the Christmas story and we have so much lacquer on top of this story that we have to sand through to get to the reality of this moment. You see, we, we hear about Mary and Mary is famous to us, right? We're like, we all know Mary. She's a part of the, the, the manger scene. You know, she's the, the mother of Christ. Even if you don't believe it, you still know who Mary is. But what's interesting is at this time, nobody knew who Mary was. Nobody knew where Mary was from. He tells us the region. She's from Galilee. Okay, we know where Galilee is. But Nazareth, I don't quite know where Nazareth is. She's from an unknown town. You see, Nazareth is the the town that you would journey through to get to the place that you wanted to journey to. Okay? You didn't stop and, and, and relax and hang out in Nazareth. Nazareth, from what we can tell from history, was a town of maybe 50 or a couple hundred people at max. I mean, there weren't a lot of people in this town. So much so that one of the, the guys that would become a disciple of Christ, Nathaniel, when he hears that the Messiah was coming from Nazareth, his response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, this is a hole-in-the-wall, hillbilly, middle of nowhere. Like, can anything good come out of there? And that's where Mary was from. And that's Mary's home. And this is not a big city on a map that everybody would know about. And yet, God knew. God knew the time. And like I said, Mary was famous today, but not at this time. In this culture, nobody would know her. She's not a prominent person in society. She doesn't have elite status. She doesn't live in in, in a palace. She doesn't even have a respectable age of wisdom at this time. All the scholars across the board say that Mary is somewhere between the age of 12 and 15. Let that settle in just for a moment. The age of 12 to 15. See, that lacquer that we put on top of Christmas, we picture Mary as this 
40-year-old woman who's very mature and very wise, takes care of a baby, right? Like, that's what we picture. Picture her having that porcelain skin, when in reality, she probably had blemished skin. You know, we look at Mary like this, but this isn't who Mary is. This is the lacquer on top of it that we have to sand through. Think about this. She's between the age of 12 and 15. And God has just said, I want you to birth and raise the second person of the Trinity. We don't even trust 12 to 15-year-olds to drive a car. We don't even give them a license yet. And God comes to this woman who is from an unknown town, and she's not even known. Her age is even very young, and yet God says, I want you. I want you to raise this child. The question that I ask, and I, I, I got to figure, you ask is why? Why in the world would God choo- not choose somebody of more renown, from a better city, with better education? Like why in the world does God choose Mary? And it tells us, it actually tells us twice in here. Verse 28 as the angel speaks to her, he says, greetings, O favored one. And then again in verse 30, he tells Mary not to be afraid, for she is favored by God. And that word for favored in my Bible, I'm not sure how your Bible may translate it, but it's the word that we get grace from. Grace. Some Bibles do translate this, Mary full of grace. Why does God know Mary? Because of his grace. Why does God choose to use Mary? Because of his grace. Not because she was renowned, not because she was famous, not because she was worth something in the eyes of the world and culture. No, because of God's grace, he chose her. Not because she lived in a palace, but because he had grace upon her. Not because she was educated and she was a great speaker and order. No, it was God's favor and grace upon her. It's not that she was sinless. Some believe that Mary was sinless, but you look one chapter forward in Luke, and she's going to the the temple, and she's making a, a sacrifice, an offering because of her sins. No, God didn't look at her and say, you're sinless, you're perfect, you're, you're, you're famous. No, God looked to her in his grace, and he chose her chose her. And it's the same for us. The reason why we can have hope is because of God's grace to us. You see, we can look and say, why in the world did God allow the second person of the Trinity to be born of Mary? And we can answer, it's grace upon grace. But at the same time, we can look at this text and say, why has God favored us that he would send his son at Christmas time to save us? It's grace upon grace. Why would Jesus live the life we couldn't live and die the death that we deserve? Grace upon grace. You see, he died not for his sins, but for our sins. And it's this grace that we have to sing about. That's why we sing and we sing, and that's why our hearts are happy and joyful. Because we look and we're like, this is the grace of God. That has come to us. So some of us 
feel this weight of being forgotten. Some of us at Christmas time feel it more than ever where we're like, man, that person didn't call me and wish me a Merry Christmas. Or that person didn't text me or that person didn't reach out or they forgot to give me a present. And you feel forgotten and your heart is heavy with that. And God in this moment, as we look at this text, is telling us too, do not fear. Just like I knew everything about Mary, I know everything about you. I know everything about you. And that's our hearty fuel that God's our hope. You see, God knows our deepest fears because he knows us deeply. He knows our deepest anxieties and he knows that we're sinful people. He knows that many of us are unknown by the world. And yet God still in his grace knows you and loves you. I think Tim Keller is the one that says it best when we think about this, this hope that we have in the gospel. He says that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. Than we ever dared to hope. You see, our hope does not rest in our ability or our good works. Our hope doesn't rest in our good day or our name being known by others. Our hope doesn't rest in us being accepted or texted by other people or liked on our social media posts. We bring our fears of our sin and our guilt and our shame before the Lord, knowing that He knows us and knows those deep sins, but at the same time, in His grace, we are far more loved than we ever dared So this, this fuels our hope, that it doesn't rest on us, it doesn't rest on our situation, it rests on the grace of God, just like it did for Mary. And listen to what I'm about to say next, because it's important. As great as it is to be known by God, the greater question is this, do you know God? God knows you, you know Him. And I'm not just talking in your mind, I know something about him, but do you believe in him? Do you treasure him? Do you hide him in your heart? That's what Christmas is inviting us to do. As he made a way to come from heaven to earth and made a way for us to go from earth to heaven, to believe in him, to know him and to treasure him in your heart. Because if you know God, if you truly know God, it will still so many fears in your heart off. When you know who he is and you believe in him, then it, then it will still the fears that eat up your life. The ones that wake you up in the middle of the night. If you think on God, it will calm those fears. And that's what comes to Mary in this moment of fear for her. Where the angel says, do not fear. He's pointing to the hope you have in Christ and the hope that Mary has in Christ. So secondly, do not fear, for there's hope in Christ. You see, this passage, as it unfolds, we find hearty fuel after hearty fuel for our hope. So that our hope can burn brightly, that others would see our hope, hear our hope. That our hope burns brightly on Jesus and who he is 
what he's done and what he will do. See, as the angel comes and he gives this news to Mary, he says, do not be afraid, Mary, verse 30. You found favor with God. And then verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And we talked about that last week as we looked at the life of Joseph and his fears. So we're not going to spend today unpacking all the different attributes of the name of Christ and what he's driving to, how he will save us from our sins. Listen to last week's if you missed that, but we unpacked that last week. But I do want us to see in this moment as we think about Jesus, we think about the name of Christ. Let this rich symbolism, the rich symbolism of these words rest on our hearts for a moment. You see, Christ is called the second Adam. And where the first Adam had no earthly father, and he was the head of all humanity, when he sinned, we all inherited that corruption and sin nature. But here comes Jesus on the scene, the second Adam, the last Adam, and likewise, he has no earthly father. But where Adam failed, Christ would prevail. Christ succeeded where Adam was condemned. He brought redemption to us, and he is holy, and he is sinless. You see, when he died, he died not for his sins, for he had none, but for our sins that we might be forgiven. So as Mary hears the name of Christ this morning, you're going to have a son. His name will be Jesus. Why? He will save people from their sins. And a lot of people struggle with this passage of how in the world could Jesus be virgin born? I struggle more with the fact of why in the world would God ever come from heaven to earth for us? With our sin and our shame and our guilt and our brokenness? Like that's the greater miracle. Why would God come? And again, it's because of his grace. It's because of his love. It's because of his mercy. And it's his grace and his might and his mercy that allows him to be great. That's what verse 32 says. This is the comfort that comes to Mary and her fears. His name will be Jesus. He's going to save. He's going to be a rescuer. But he will also be great, verse 32 says. Now, if you know anything about history, you enjoy history at this time, there was a king called Herod the Great, right? Like he gave himself that title, I'm Herod the Great. But if you, if you read history, Herod's not that great. I mean, Herod is literally killing family members because he's afraid of losing his power and authority. Herod might have given himself the title, Herod the Great, but he was not great. But here when you see this description of Jesus given, that he will be great, we see it through his life, his greatness. How he humbled himself to serve others. How he healed those who were sick. How he rescued those who were far from God. This is the greatness of our God. I love how the book of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 1. As it speaks of Jesus, it says, He's the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his word and his power. Jesus holds everything together. 
He didn't just have good miracles as he walked the streets of, of Jerusalem. He didn't just heal people. He holds every single thing together in our universe. This is the greatness of Jesus. I mean, if we were to practically think about it, from what we know about the creator of the, of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, he's the greatest of all minds. If we took every great thinker from every century, from every nation, and we gathered them together, their mouths would be shut at the wisdom of God, at the wisdom of Christ. They'd be sitting there writing and taking notes. Jesus is the greatest of all physicians. You can have the greatest minds in, in healthcare, but if you put them in the room with Christ, as he spoke about the body that he has created and how he has formed it in the womb and made it, it would blow their minds. There's still so much we don't know and understand about the body, but Christ knows it all. He's the greatest of, of all musicians. Right? If we took all the great musicians of all of time and we gathered them together, the, the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ would blow their minds. And they would sit there and they'd be astonished and amazed at how Christ understands how every single instrument works. How the vocal cords that he has made have worked. He is great and greatly to be praised for his greatness. And so we look, and that should give us peace. Our, our hope does not rest in whether we are great or not great. Our peace and our hope rest in his greatness, in his might, in his power, in his wisdom, in his guidance, in his sovereignty. That's where our hope rests. Then in verse 33, it tells us that his greatness has no end. In verse 33, it says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do you know what that means when it says that in verse 33? That Jesus is eternal. He lives before he is birthed and he lives after his resurrection. He eternally exists without beginning and without end, and his kingdom will have no end. And so we sit here and we wonder, is tomorrow going to be better, right? It could be more difficult, but we know that Christ is reigning on his throne, and because he's reigning on his throne, we ultimately know what that day will look like when he comes again. It could be difficult between now and then, but we will trust that he is reigning and his kingdom will have no end. And we see glimpses, glimpses of that peace right now. It's dimly seen. But one day we will see it in all of its splendor and all of its glory. His kingdom has no end. He will remove all sickness and pain and death. He'll remove it all. So does that comfort you like it comforted Mary? To know that Jesus is a great rescuer. He saves does it comfort you to know that he is great and his greatness has no end? His kingdom will have no end. Do you believe that? Is it something that you savor and you enjoy thinking about these things? Or does your heart sit and ponder fears, worries, anxieties, regrets that could be or should be? We find later as Mary thinks and hears more about Christ, and as Christ is born, that she 
ponders these things on her own. Mary thinks about these things. Luke chapter 2 tells us that. Do we think on these things? Is our hope built on something weak and fragile that crumbles and we lose it? Or is our hope built on something that will go on forever, that has no end? Let our minds be flooded and filled with the goodness of Christ. It was amazing. My wife and I were even talking this week. If you've ever looked on your phone, your, your iPhone tracks where you spend your time throughout your day. And it's a little convincing, right? You look on there and you're like, three hours on social media. What? There's no way I spent three hours on social media today. But when you start to look and it shows you when you did and how you added it all up, and you're like, oh my goodness, like I spent three hours. If we could track our thoughts and our time that we spend thinking on God, I, I don't know what mine would be. But I hope it would be more than a three-hour social media. I pray and I hope that my, my life would meditate and think and ponder on these things like Mary did that we wouldn't be filled with fear and anxiety, but that we would be filled with deep faith, sincere faith in the Lord. Like many of us, as we wrestle with the brokenness of this world and the, the greatness of God, it's a hard thing to put these two things together. We look at how broken and how hard this world is. We hear about the greatness of God. There's a tension in our heart. There's a hardship of putting those two things together. That's the third thing I want us to see, is that we would not fear, but hope, because nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. You see, we look at the brokenness of the world, and we're like, yes, God is great, but how in the world is God going to fix this broken world? How is he going to fix these things that continue to place my hope in and continue to fail me? How in the world is he going to do that? Because nothing is impossible for God. Mary in this section is asking the question that many of us are asking. How in the world is this possible? How in the world am I going to think about God more? How in the world am I going to let go of these anxieties and fears? How in the world am I going to do this? How is it possible? Because with God, all things are possible. You see, the question that Mary asks here is, it's a question specifically for Mary. Like, how in the world am I going to have a child because I'm a virgin? But if we really start to think about it, this question isn't unique to Mary question of how will this be? How will this be? I mean, even if we look at Scripture, Abraham in the Old Testament, he wondered, how in the world am I going to be the father of many nations when I'm old and I don't have any kids? How is this possible? Because with God, all things are possible. King David had to have wondered, how in the world am I going to have somebody that reigns on my throne forever, God? How is that possible? Because with God, all things are possible. And Jesus is going to come, and to the end of his kingdom, there will be no end. The prophets in the Old Testament had to have asked God, how in the world are you going to be the suffering servant and yet the reigning king? How are you going to do that? With God, all things are possible. So some of us are sitting here today asking that question, how is this possible? How is this possible? And the answer is because with God, all things are possible. And Mary may ask that question, and you can ask that question to God. How is this possible? You can do that. 
Because what Mary's doing is it's showing us a picture of faith-seeking understanding. This is not disbelief in this moment for Mary. This is faith-seeking understanding, and that's what we need to do. You see, we can believe and be a Christian and not fully understand everything. You see, disbelief says, I don't believe the Bible. I don't think that Jesus died for my sins. I don't think that things are possible, like Jesus raising from the dead. That's unbelief. But faith that is seeking understanding, like Mary's here, says, I believe the Bible's true. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that these things, but how in the world is this possible? See, Mary's just seeking more information, but she believes for what she knows. And here's the convicting part for me is that Mary knows far less than you and I know. And yet she has far greater faith. See, Mary in this small town probably couldn't, had no education. She probably couldn't read. What she had heard about the Bible is maybe what she had heard from when she would go to the temple and listen to somebody teach. And she would have to think and remember. She couldn't open it up and read it. She very likely couldn't read at all. She didn't have the New Testament for us to read and understand all these depths. She didn't even have the whole Old Testament to read and understand them. She had far less information, and yet she had far greater faith. She had a simple faith, but a significant faith. And some of us sit here today, and we think we need to learn a whole lot more before we believe. Maybe there is a whole lot more for you to learn. Let me encourage you to believe what you already know. Can you say alongside of Mary, with all of her lack of information, would you have faith to say, let it be according to your word? That's what she says in verse 31. She says, how is this possible? Nothing with God is impossible. And then her response in verse 38 is, okay, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Let it be according to your word. Jesus would do a lot of amazing things that Mary would get to see and celebrate. But when she makes this commitment right here, and this is a hard and heavy thing for Mary to do. She says yes, but that faith would affect the rest of her life. People would make fun of her for having a child outside of marriage. People would make fun of her kids because of it. And yet Mary says, I am your servant. Do whatever it is that you say I'll do. And would you do the same for what God is calling you to do? Would you say whatever you want, God, I am your servant. Whether that's health or sickness, whatever you want, I'm your servant. I want to be used by you. Whether it's being rich or poor, I want to be used by you. Whether it's being single or married, barren or fertile, failure or success, whatever you say, God, I want to be your servant. I will do it. Mary's given the chance to respond to what God has asked her to do right here. And I pray we would do the same. That we would respond like this. I am your servant, God. Whatever it is, I will do it. Many of you already know what God is calling you to do. You have read his word. You felt his tug on your heart. And I want you to respond. I want you to respond.
things you don't like don't have power. To my non-Christian friend in the room or online, would you say yes to Jesus today? Would you give him your yes? Would you say, I'm your sinner? Would you say yes to the one who will free you from your sin and give you abundant life? It's not hard. It's a simple faith, but it's a significant faith. And it's simple because the work has already been done. It's been done in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. God will start to remove those fears and anxieties and fill you with faith. Would you do that today? pray with me. To my Christian friends in the room, would you say yes to the step of faith that God is calling you to in this moment? That may be a, a step of faith to share the gospel for the very first time in your life. Maybe you've never told anybody the good news of Jesus, that he's our rescuer, that he is great, and that there's no end to his kingdom. Maybe you've never shared it. You've believed it, but you've never shared it with somebody else. Would you say to the Lord, yes, today, I'm your servant. I'm a faithful Jew. Maybe that's the next step of faith is for you to move forward to be baptized believed in Jesus, but you've never followed him in the example of Jesus' baptism. So he'll do that in 2022, and that could be a step of faith for you to share. Maybe, maybe your step of faith is to meditate on God's word. Maybe the step of faith is that you're going to get that Gospel of John scriptures around next week. You're going to start to read it, meditate on it, write in it. And more importantly than you writing in it, you're going to allow God's word to write on your heart and your life. Would you say yes, Lord, let it be according to your word today. Lord, we know that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. That we can do nothing apart from you. And so now we look to you um, with, with hope. And ask that you would sustain that hope in our lives. We look to you and ask that you would remove our fears and fill us with faith in you. That our hope wouldn't rest in something that crumbles, but something that is solid. We pray that for our good, but ultimately for the glory of your name. Lord, it is all about you. It is all about your glory. That's what we say as your servant. Let's stand now. Let's sing about the glory of Jesus.